And I think the great thing about all of this is that my mom, once I got into university and saw that it was paid for, she felt more comfortable with me leaving. And I set a new expectation for my family. The expectation was that my siblings would go to college. We would find a way to make sure that they went to college. So it also worked to change my family's point of view on higher education. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. I can't wait to have you listen to Maritza Perez's journey and story. Maritza and I met lots of years ago back when we were both in college and we were interning on Capitol Hill in DC and she was interning with Senator Harry Reid's office and I remember thinking just how exciting and cool it was. We met so many other amazing people who were also really excited about public policy and social justice issues. And, you know, Maritza has really, truly embraced that path. She ended up going to UC Berkeley to get her JD. And she's been in DC ever since she graduated and has been in the policy space advocating for, you know, criminal justice issues, marginalized folks, people of color, and working to end the war on drugs. I really respect her, really admire her. And so if you're someone who is interested in politics and policy, becoming a lawyer, JD, to pursue this path, this is a great episode for you. Okay, enjoy. Hey, before we head into today's episode, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at ECM Podcast. Also head over to ecmpodcast.com where you can get freebies, read the latest ECM blog post, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And if you or someone you know is looking for one-on-one career coaching, you can sign up to work with me on my website. Lastly, if you're a big fan and supporter of the show, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we can reach other people. Okay, let's head into the show. Okay, everyone, I'm so excited to welcome Maritza to the show. Welcome, Maritza. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah. So, I want to go into your career path. I want to learn about what you're doing today. But before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit about just like your personal background, your upbringing. What should the audience know about you before we hear your career story? Yeah, so I was born in Mexico, but I was raised in the United States. My parents were already living in the United States, decided to go back and back to Mexico. And I happened to be born there early. I'm really thankful for that experience because it meant that I was a non-citizen while everybody else in my family had some sort of status, including my siblings who were all citizens. They were all born in the U.S. So I actually do appreciate that experience because I saw like firsthand what it took to gain citizenship. And I feel like that within itself could be like its own podcast. (laughs) Yeah. My family uh, first moved to Utah where my dad worked on a farm. But later on, my mom wanted to be closer to family. So we moved to a really small rural town in northeastern Nevada. And I was raised with immigrant parents who were low income. Growing up, my dad was a janitor. My mom was a housekeeper. From a very early age, I knew that 
I was really passionate about education. And I also knew that I wanted to see more of the world. I just remember always being like very frustrated with like small town mentality. Mm-hmm. Even as a kid, I was very like conscious of injustice of how Mexican immigrants in my community were treated as second class citizens. Mm-hmm. And I remember just feeling enraged about it from a very early age and knowing that there had to be more than this and that I was going to get out and represent my community. I didn't know how, but I knew I was going to do it. <laughs> so I think like many first generation professionals, I share the experience of having immigrant parents coming from a low income background and having to make a way for myself. Yeah. And so when you were growing up, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? What did you say when people asked you that? I did beginning in high school. And I think that started for me in high school because it was the first time I took a government class. And I had a really great government teacher who made sure that my voice always felt important. And I say that because I grew up in a very conservative place. And he would encourage us to debate all the time about different political issues. And it was always like me against the world, it felt. But he was always standing up for me on my side, encouraging me, encouraging me to speak up and speak my point of view, even though he didn't agree with it. And I also remember that he organized a trip to D.C. This was like my sophomore or junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to go, but I remember I couldn't afford to go. And I told him, I was like, I really want to go, but my mom says we can't afford it. And he went out of his way to find me a scholarship to make sure that I could go on the trip. And that really meant a lot to me. And it really changed the trajectory of my life because it was for the first time that I was able to visit D.C. Mm -hmm. and see lawyers working in government, lawyers that were standing up for marginalized communities, people working on civil rights issues. And that really made me think I want to be a civil rights lawyer in D.C. and do this work. And I just had that idea in my head from an early age since that trip from my teenage years and just stuck to it. Wow. I had no idea that this was like a vision that you had pretty clearly in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think it's something that's pretty unique. I've realized because I do mentor a lot of kids who are thinking about what career path they want to take. And I've realized that just knowing and sticking to it is really rare. That said, people shouldn't feel like they should know. I think the point about life is just explore your interests, take different opportunities. And I think eventually you'll find something that makes you happy. But I did have sort of a different path in the sense that I always knew what I wanted to do. And I just did it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what was your path to college like? Was that a clear path for you? Or did you have to figure out a lot of things on the way there? I definitely had to figure out a lot of things on the way there. I remember knowing that I wanted to go to college because I knew that was just like the logical next step. And I knew that just from conversations I would hear at my high school. I was also the oldest girl in my family. And I come from a very large family, four brothers, four sisters. I was like the babysitter. I was the one who was making sure that my siblings were taken care of while my parents were working. They worked full time. And I remember having a conversation with my mom and telling her that I wanted to go to college. And she was like, how are you going to do that? If you go, who's going to help me take care of your siblings? She had a very like negative reaction to it. So Mm -hmm. that made me think, well, I guess I can go to community college because my small town did have a community college. So I began to apply for scholarships to pay for that. I applied for every scholarship that came my way in high school. And I remember a secretary at my high school noticed that. She was the person who was taking care of the applications and we would turn them into her. 
And she's like, you've applied to more scholarships than anybody else in this high school. Where are you going to go to college? And then I explained to her, well, I'm going to go to the community college here in town because my mom really needs my help at home. Plus, we can't really afford to send me anywhere else. And then she was like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, you should at least apply for a university. And she was the first person to explain to me what a university was. Like, I literally had no idea. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you should at least apply to the University of Nevada in Reno. She's you are a, a resident of the state. You'll get really low tuition. It's an affordable school. I think you'll get a lot of scholarship money. So because she encouraged me to do that, that was the only university I applied to. And mm-hmm. obviously I got in, I got a full ride. I ended up getting more scholarships in my high school than anyone else. And it's not surprising. I was a very active student. I was a straight A student. I was at the top of my class. But when I think back about that experience, I actually get really angry. And I get angry at the fact that no teacher or other adult talked to me about the university path. Mm -hmm. And it actually really pisses me off when I think about it, because I think it was due to racism. I come from a really racist town where Native American and Mexican American kids were treated as less than. The expectations were really low. And I think had I been some white girl with the same grades, like I would have had different choices whatever. It worked for me. Like I kicked ass at university (laughs) and I've been kicking ass in life. No thanks to them. A lot of thanks to that secretary that saw that in me and talked to me, but it wasn't any teacher or anything like that. And I think the great thing about all of this is that my mom, once I got into university and saw that it was paid for, she felt more comfortable with me leaving. And I set a new expectation for my family. The expectation was that my siblings would go to college. We would find a way to make sure that they went to college. So it was also a matter it was also it also worked to change my family's point of view on higher education. Oh my god, that story alone is just there's so much to unpack there and I feel like you're 100% right like racism played a role in the opportunities that people shared with you, right? You just can't believe that one conversation with the secretary changed the trajectory of your life. I know. I think about that all the time and I've shared it with her since leaving um, high school about how important that was for me. But yeah, it's, it also speaks to like why I wanted to do Teach for America, which is a program that I was a part of after college. It's a program that sends teachers of color or teachers generally to low-income schools across the country in order to close the achievement gap. I was really adamant about wanting to do that program because I just remember how I felt looked over because I never had teachers of color. Like I grew up in predominantly white spaces. And I just think what would have changed had I had a teacher that shared my background? What would they have seen in me? So I really wanted to make sure that I was in a classroom able to lift kids up and see their potential, whereas somebody from that doesn't share their background might not. So after college, you decided to join Teach for America and you moved to New Orleans, Louisiana. How was that experience? I, I also did TFA. I did it after you and it was really hard, but I want to hear how was your experience? It was a very difficult experience. Other than wanting to be a positive role model for students of color, another reason I wanted to do it was because, to be honest, I just needed an academic break at that time. I didn't feel like I could go directly to law school. And I felt, well, this will be like a good break. Like it'll allow me to get my foot in the classroom, learn about what educators need. Because at the time, I also thought that maybe I would be some sort of education attorney. I wasn't really sure what type of civil rights work I would get into. But little did I know that, oh, no, it was not going to be any type of break. Yes, maybe it was an academic break, but it was very exhausting. It was mentally exhausting, emotionally exhausting. It was a lot of hard work. It was no joke. 
but I really did appreciate my two years in the classroom. I made really great friends down in New Orleans. I love the city itself. The city is just very unique. There's no city like it in the country. It will always hold a special place in my heart. My kids were amazing. Yes, they drove me up the wall pretty much every day, but they were lovely and I really loved them and enjoyed my time in the classroom with them. And it was an informative experience, a very challenging experience. I also started to study for the LSAT and apply for law schools while teaching full time. Mm -hmm. It was extremely difficult, nothing that I would change. I really do appreciate the the experience I had. Yeah, I remember so many years ago seeing your announcement on Facebook, like, I'm going to Berkeley Law and just being like, oh my God, that's so amazing. What was that moment like for you when you got into law school and you knew, like, I will become a lawyer one day now? It was an awesome feeling. I remember when I first heard the news too, I was checking my email. It was at the end of the day. My classroom was empty. I had just turned the lights off. I was about ready to leave. And then I opened that email and I saw it. I just remember like crumbling to the floor and like crying by my desk. I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. I was so happy. Like I literally had visions of me like getting accepted to Berkeley in my little Berkeley sweater. And then like it happened. And yeah, it was just like a dream come true. I remember I just ran like across the hall to like my co-teacher who had a classroom like across the hall for me and was like, I just got the news. I got into Berkeley and I was so excited, so happy. It felt really unreal. And it felt like that for a long time. Even when I arrived to California, it still felt like unreal. Yeah. Okay. So what was your first job as a newly minted lawyer? My first job was at MALDEF, the Mexican American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. I started as a Soros Justice Fellow, which is a fellowship that supports people who want to end mass incarceration. And most people who start in public interests after law school have to do it through a fellowship. That's just, you know, how it works. You apply for a fellowship. The fellowship is like a tryout at the nonprofit. And it also helps supplement your what you get paid. So like the fellowship will contribute a certain amount to your salary. And so will the nonprofit. And then some people leave after the fellowship. Some people stay. I decided to stay. So I did the Soros Justice Fellowship for a year and a half with MALDEF, working on federal policies to end mass incarceration. It was a lot of fun. I feel like I learned a lot. I decided to stay on after my fellowship ended. I stayed on for about another year, and my portfolio then expanded expanded to include other civil rights issues. So I started to work on immigration policy, access to education, employment rights, and judicial nominations. And at what point did you decide to shift over to doing drug policy reform? So I think from the very beginning, I was always doing drug policy work just because it's such a huge part of our criminal justice system. So I felt like if you're doing criminal justice, there's no way that you cannot also do drug policy. They're just so intersected, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I just wanted to work on criminal justice issues generally. Yeah. And while I enjoyed my work at Maldives and the broader civil rights portfolio I had, I wanted to go I wanted to go back to my roots and um really take on criminal justice issues. So I applied for a position um at a think tank called the Center for American Progress, CAP. It's a progressive think tank based in Washington, DC. Think tanks really just put together policies and advise lawmakers from around the country on their, you know, specific issues. And it was at CAP where I really started to more hone in on drug policy. I developed a marijuana portfolio while I was there. In addition to that, I also worked on issues of policing and prison and sentencing reform. 
but it was really the marijuana work that I started to develop while at CAP. Mm -hmm. And that led me to work a lot with the Drug Policy Alliance, where I work now. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So being a policy analyst at a think tank, are most of the policy analysts JDs or is it a mix of like policy degrees and JDs together? It's a mix of policy degrees and JDs, but I will say, at least in DC, my experience has been that the JD will get you really far. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of jobs, for example, that you can only get if you have a JD, even though you might be doing the same thing as somebody with a policy degree is doing. So yeah, so sometimes it doesn't even make sense, but it just seems to be like standard in DC. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that my law degree has helped me. It's helped me be more competitive when I'm applying for things. But it actually has also helped in the sense that it's given me real tools that I use in my work. For example, as much as I hated law school, it did help me become a better critical thinker. It really did make me a more clear, accurate, improved writer. Like all of those things have been really helpful in my career now. And so a lot of your work at CAP or like at MALDEF, were you doing research? Were you writing briefs? Were you going to actually advocate? What does that day-to-day look like? Good question. It was a mix of all of those things. The interesting part is every job I've had in DC has been somewhat similar. So for MALDEF to the Center for American Progress to now at the Drug Policy Alliance, my job has always entailed research and writing. So definitely looking into different issues and giving my opinion on them. I will say at MALDEF, it was more like also being a watchdog, like making sure that the federal government was following the rule of law. And we were especially looking at that through the lens of through the lens of Latino civil rights. Mm -hmm. But through each role, I've also have advised Congress on different pieces of legislation. I've worked to draft legislation. I've built advocacy campaigns around different bills. I've worked with the administration on different policy goals. So yes, each job has definitely entailed research and writing and lobbying. Lobbying has been a big part of each, each job. What has been like one of your biggest highlight moments in DC doing this work over the years? I'm fortunate enough to say that I've had a lot of highlights, but probably something that happened recently was was our work around marijuana. So as I said, I've been doing this marijuana work since I started at the Center for American Progress. And when I started there, we really started, and I say we, me and other allies, advocates, excuse me, me and other advocates started to come together to draft a model marijuana justice bill, because we saw what was happening around the country. We knew that the federal government was really on the cusp of legalizing marijuana. So this was back in 2018. We brought together a large coalition of advocates and started drafting up a bill. And that bill resulted in the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, the MORE Act. And this bill was first introduced in Congress, I want to say, in 2019. And we were able to successfully bring that legislation to the House floor for a vote last year in December of 2020. And it marked the first time that the House voted to deschedule marijuana. Not only was it a descheduling bill, but it really centered people who have been most impacted by marijuana prohibition. It was really a reparative justice bill. So that was a really exciting moment for me. Not only did I do that as the director of the organization that's been pushing for the bill, but I also led the coalition that made that happen. So that was really exciting. It's not every day that a bill makes it past introduction. It's really rare that happens. But the fact that we got a bill through a congressional chamber was huge. 
Yeah, that's so huge. And it's you're at, on the cusp of something massive happening, like a massive shift in the US. And to be behind that as a leader is, is I'm sure really exciting. So at the Drug Policy Alliance, what are you typically in charge of as a director? Do you have a team that you manage or what does that look like? Yeah, so I do have a team that I manage and my job really looks like making a lot of decisions throughout the day. I feel like it's a really fast-paced environment. You're constantly talking to other advocates who work in your field. You're talking to other members of your organization. You're talking to Hill staff. You're talking to members of Congress. You're talking with the administration and the media. The media is a big part of all of this. I feel like it's just constant conversations with people. And also just having to be on top of what's happening with the government, both on the Hill and with the administration. So making sure that you're on top of all of that as it pertains to your issues. And it's also a lot of pushing your issues forward. So for example, something that we've been working on recently is marijuana legislation. So we've been doing the work to make sure that Congress keeps this on their agenda as an urgent priority. So it's it's constantly thinking about ways to make this issue urgent to keep the pressure up. But it's also defending. A lot of the time you're on defense, especially with us working in the criminal justice space. I feel like we're constantly having to stop the government from doing terrible things like further criminalizing drugs or implementing draconian sentencing policies. So it's definitely like a lot of offense, but we also do a lot of defensive work. Yeah. So I saw that you were recently, you recently did your first sit down interview with Fox News. Congrats. And that also sounds terrifying. (laughs) What was that like? And how did that come about? I thought that was really fun, actually. I never thought that my first sit down live interview would be with Fox News, first of all, because anyone who knows me, like knows that does not make sense. (laughs) But the program I decided to do was a program that actually has more balance. The interviewer is somebody who doesn't identify with either party. So I felt comfortable in that sense. I knew that she was somebody who supports our issues. So it was a friendly interview, which was a good starting place, especially for a first-time interview. Mm -hmm. I felt fine with it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think as long as you prepare for opportunities, you'll be fine, at least in my experience. I feel like I always do better if I just prepare. And I definitely did prepare for this. Like I made sure I went over my talking points, made sure that my I would get like my big point across. And I think I did. So it was a lot of fun. I hope to do more things like that in the future. Yeah. So I know you've been obviously very successful in this policy, federal policy advocacy world, but I do remember that you were a journalism major. And I am curious if you would ever consider going into broadcast journalism in some way, like whether it's like in the policy space. And then I've also thought about like you (laughs) running for office, like becoming an elected Have you thought about these other career paths or did you at one point? And like, where are you with thinking about those other paths? Well, Priscilla, I'll say you're a mind reader because (laughs) both of those paths have been on my mind. I feel as much as I've thought about being a lawyer, I've also thought about those other career paths. Mm -hmm. The reason I majored in journalism was because I really wanted to be a strong writer. I knew that would serve me well in law school. But I feel like from that experience, I did glean a lot into the journalism world, including broadcast journalism. And now in my in my advocacy role, I'm constantly working with the media. So one goal that I actually had for this year was to do more television interviews. So I was really excited that I already did one. Hopefully I can do some more and, and yeah. really meet that goal. Because I think that television is just such an important medium 
to getting your point across, to getting your message across. And the truth is we are so underrepresented in the media. When I say we, I'm talking about Latinas. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard to like ever find us on the news, even when like the issue areas being discussed totally pertain to us. And I find that very frustrating. I want to see more Latinas on the news. I want to see us being invited to share our perspective more often. I think that voice is really lacking. And I think it's an important voice, especially to, again, especially if you want to win people on your side, when you change culture, changing culture is how you change policy and television, like it or not, is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's a career trajectory that I'm definitely open to and something that I'd like to explore more. And then as far as running for office, I've always wanted to run for office. I think this goes back to high school, like when I learned about how our federal government functions and the role of lawmakers. It's always been something that has interested me. But funny enough, the more I've actually worked with Congress, the less I want to do that. And it's also an area where I think we are obviously very underrepresented, where we need our voices. We definitely need more progressive people of color, women especially, making our laws But there are a couple of things that are holding me back from really, truly wanting to embrace that. The first is that it costs a lot of money. It's really cost prohibitive, which I think is really messed up because it also like, it basically ensures that there's no diversity in Congress when Mm -hmm. it takes so much investment financially to like actually make it happen. It can be done. We all saw the AOC did it, but it's hard. And so I think, do I really want to like, especially after I've like worked so hard to get where I'm at, am I comfortable with doing basically starting over? So it's like the financial barriers are very real and scare me, but it also scares me to have like my whole life out there. And people don't like women. They especially don't like outspoken women of color. We all see all the hate that the squad gets. And I don't know if I want that. I really don't know if I want to put myself out there like that put my public life out there, like that's really hard. And I have a deep appreciation for people who do that. But I just think that would be a really challenging aspect of the whole job. I even feel like I even feel like that now, to be honest with my job, I don't like conflict, I don't like people being mad at me. But part of my job is, you know, sometimes not everyone's going to be happy with you. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. Like, I carry that like very heavily. And I wish I could, I was somebody who just let it roll off my shoulders, but I don't, I like, it stays with me for a while. And I feel if you're a lawmaker, you're just going to have to deal with that. And I don't know if I want to. So I don't know. I feel like there's a pin in that, like question mark, Mm -hmm. maybe at this point in my life, I'm like, I don't know if I want that. Yeah, that's very well said. I feel like you touched on some points like mental health and wanting privacy and also wanting to enjoy your life free of all of that conflict and how nasty politics can get, right? I think that is totally fair, especially as someone who comes from a marginalized community and background. It's fair to say, you know what? I have to set some boundaries somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Maritza. It was great to hear your story, hear about the path that you've taken as a lawyer and also just like the impact that you're having on people's lives. So thanks for being here. Hey, are you thinking about changing careers? Then you need to head over to my website, ecmpodcast.com and sign up to get your free 20-page guide that I wrote with you in mind. I wrote this guide to help you change careers and get really clear on what it is that you want to do next. Career clarity is key to a career transition journey. All right, can't wait to hear what you think about it. Have a great week.